Morning, church. Let's figure out how this goes. We've got a new carpet up here. It's wobbly. That's how it's going to be. That's how it's going to be. It is good to be back. Thank you for your patience. Um, the family is doing well. We are all doing well. My little one, Max, is still sick, so my wife stayed home with Max uh, today. But the rest of the family is doing well, and thank you for your prayers and your emails and your text. Um, you don't realize how much they are appreciated, that we know that we are part of a church family that loves us and cares for us and prays for us. So I just want to start off this morning by saying thank you uh, to the church family. This morning, we're actually going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. So we had a little break last week, but several weeks ago we were looking at Jesus as he was going through the Feast of the Tabernacles. He was proclaiming that he was the bread of life, that he was the, the living water. And then two weeks ago, Dr. Phil, I like to call him Dr. Phil, he hates it. I like to call him like the Dr. Reverend Lawyer Man Phil. Right? He hates it, but after 25 years of being referred to as the ugly boy in every one of his sermons, it's my turn. Right? So deal with it, Phil. I know you're probably watching. Love you, though. Thanks for filling in. Uh, but anyway, he took, us, he took us on the faith journey two weeks ago. He took us on a faith journey of a blind man that so often represents our own journey. Maybe it represents those that we're sharing Jesus with. Right? We go from Jesus being just a man to maybe being a prophet and to being Lord. And oftentimes there's this process that we go through in knowing Jesus, in knowing Jesus as the Christ, in knowing Jesus as the Son of God, of finding life in Jesus. And I hope that was encouraging for some of you to hear that as you are still lurk, looking to find out who Jesus is, as you are still seeking to find out who Jesus was, is, I hope that was a time of encouragement. But I also hope it was encouraging for those of you that are sharing Jesus with your friends and the process isn't going as fast as you want it to go. Right? They are just not getting it. I was talking with a friend of mine just the other day, and it blows his mind that after telling people about Jesus, they still won't believe in Jesus. It just doesn't make sense to him. And it's really funny because he's big. He's bigger than I am, and he gets really frustrated that people won't believe Jesus. And he does it out of love for them because it wasn't that long ago that he didn't know Jesus. And he was experiencing the pain and the suffering, the heartache and the brokenness. But then Jesus grabbed him, showed him life, gave him life. And he just can't for the life of him understand why people would rather dangle over the fires of death than to cling to Jesus for life. And it becomes very frustrating for him. And I've told him that the answer is simple. Not everybody knows Jesus. And he said, but, but I told them about Jesus. Like, they should know. I've, I've told them. Well, Jesus did too. And they didn't believe him. And so this morning, I want to look at John chapter 10 and see if Jesus helps us to understand why some people don't know Jesus. But I also want to see if he allows us to look into our own hearts to see if maybe our own disbelief is impacting or influencing others who don't know Jesus. This is going to be a, a fun morning. It's going to be a, a great morning. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles or click on your Bibles in chapter 10. And we're going to be, begin reading from verse 1. 
And as we open up this passage, we see that Jesus starts off with a parable. So I'm going to read that parable now. Verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Scripture says that this was a figure of speech that Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So this passage, we see Jesus uses this illustration of a shepherd in a sheep fold. He speaks to his people, the Jews that are gathered around him, listening And we know that not many people understood what he was saying. But we also know that today there are thousands and thousands of commentaries on this passage explaining what Jesus meant. That's because Jesus went on to explain what he meant. And they just expanded on what Jesus said. But we don't have to guess what Jesus is talking about here. So we're going to keep reading. We're going to look and see what Jesus was talking about. We're not going to go to a commentary. We're just going to go straight to scripture. Jesus explains himself better than anybody else can explain him. So we're going to go ahead and pick up in verse 7 where Jesus explains this. It says, So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me." Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have another sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, and I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my mother, my father. And in this passage, it's very important we understand there's three truths that Jesus makes about himself. The first truth that Jesus makes is that he is the Savior. And when I say he is the, it is T-H-E. He is the only Savior. He is the one and only gate. Some translations say door. But he is the only access that we have to God the Father. Jesus will later say in John that no one comes to the Father except through me. The exclusivity of Jesus is not something that Christians made up. It is something that Jesus taught and he did not leave it up for debate. So first he claims that he is the Savior. The second thing he does is he talks about providing abundant life. That he provides abundant life. 
And I want to just park here for a minute because sometimes we look at abundant life and we just skip over what Jesus is talking about, what it means to have abundant life. So I want to hit three things that he covers in here. First, he says that he provides abundant provision. Right? He will, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pastures. And he's talking about the sheep. And when he says he will go in and out and find pastures, he's saying that Jesus' sheep will go out of the gate and they will have endless supplies of the hills. They will have endless supplies of the pastures. Everything will be given to them. And he provides not only for our needs, but he actually provides for our deepest desires. Some people say, oh, Jesus just gives us our needs and the material stuff doesn't matter. No, he provides for every single one of our desires. Scripture tells us that if we delight in the Lord, he'll give us the desires of our heart. That if he is our supreme affection, we will get everything that we desire. And sometimes we get that confused with material blessings. However, Jesus provides something much greater than material things. He gives us himself. He gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us comfort. And when we're walking in the shadow of his glory, there is abundant supply of everything that we need and everything that our heart desires. The second thing that this is included in an abundant life is abundant security. He is not leaving us. He does not fly, as, flee. As a matter of fact, he lays down his life for us. We are secured by his blood. We are secured by what he did, and we are not dependent on anything that we can or cannot do. Our security is 100% secured because of the work that Jesus already did. And then the third thing is he talks about the abundant family. This is the last thing that I want to point out in an abundant life, and it's this idea of this abundant family that Jesus provides. I know many of you come from dysfunctional families. I know I'm a part of a dysfunctional family. My kids would tell you I'm the reason they're in a dysfunctional family, but all of us come from a dysfunctional family. But when we look at the design that God had for the family, The family was to support. The family was to encourage. The family was like your home worship team. And when we look at God's design for family and joy, that family isn't always what we think. And we'll talk about this in just a few minutes. So in this teaching, Jesus tells us that he is the Savior, that he provides life abundantly, and then the last thing that he teaches us is that he is sovereign. He lays down his life, He does that willingly. Nobody takes it from him. He is in complete control. He gives his life. He offers himself in your place, right? He he comes to you and he says, hold this, and he gives you his righteousness. And he said, let me take that, and he takes your sin. And he went to the cross, and he laid down his life, and he paid for your sins. He paid for them. We talk about being forgiven. We were forgiven, but our sins were paid for. And they were paid for with his life. And the holy and just God was satisfied. And justice has been done. It wasn't just swept under the rug. It was paid in full by Jesus giving his life. That is sovereignty. How how many of you would like to pay your mortgage and then once the bank cashed it, take that money back? Yeah, you can't do that. But Jesus did. And he demonstrated his supreme sovereignty. And these are the three truths that Jesus teaches, but I believe that when we look at this passage, the key to this passage is verse 14. And Jesus says, I know my own, 
and my own know me. And as we study this passage, we know that this, this term know, both of those knows, where Jesus says, I know, and he says, my own know me, this is not a simple understanding of two plus two equals four. This word that is used is this experientially know, that I've experienced, and, and that's why I know it, right, that we fully understand it because we've been through this experience. Several years ago, well, actually for many, many years, my wife wanted to go see the Grand Canyon. No interest in seeing the Grand Canyon. For those of you who don't know, you have to start in the middle of nowhere and drive like four more hours to the middle of no nowhere to see a hole in the ground. And I remember looking at this map, and this was my wife's thing that she wanted to do. And I said, Melissa, look at the pictures. You can fly through it virtually. If you want, you can pretend like you're on a raft and float down the Colorado River during the, like, we don't need to go do this. Like, please. Like, that's a lot of driving. And for those of you who don't know, I don't like to drive. And that's a lot, a lot, a lot of driving. And she said, no, I want to see it. And I love my wife. So we went and saw it. Right, I went with her to the middle of nowhere. And I'm going to be really, really honest. You know how I feel about this, right? I tried to sell her on the pictures. I'm going to tell you right now, there's not a single picture, and I looked at them all, that does justice to the Grand Canyon, right? It is absolutely amazing. And I, was, I couldn't tell her that out loud, and she's not here, so I can share this story with you, right? But none of those pictures come close to even a fraction of what the Grand Canyon looks like. It will literally take your breath away. And from the pictures, I knew what the Grand Canyon looked like, but I had no idea about how beautiful the Grand Canyon is. Right? And without really knowing the Grand Canyon, I could only offer weak explanations of the Grand Canyon. But now that I have seen the Grand Canyon, now that I have experienced the Grand Canyon, it's totally different. This is not a sales pitch for Arizona. I would never tell anybody to go to Arizona. But if you have nothing to do like a day and a half, go check out the Grand Canyon. Right? It's actually beautiful. Right? You are missing out on something truly amazing if you just look at your pictures. Like, go see it. Go experience. It's, it's amazing. Unfortunately, this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, I know my own and they know me. He's talking about his own that have experienced Jesus. That know him. They haven't just read about him in the scriptures. They haven't just heard about him sitting in church. They haven't just heard about him in songs that they sang or feel good. He's talking about people that have experienced him. People that know me. Right? Literally, the grammatical role in this sentence of to know is talking about one who is an experiencer. So the grammatical structure, when it says to know, it's one who has experienced God. One who has experienced Jesus. And this changes things a little bit. Right? When we start to talk about, no, 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 Jesus isn't talking about those who have heard my name or those who maybe shake my hand or those who waved at me as I walked around. He's saying, no, 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 I'm talking about people that know me, that have experienced me, that have walked with me, that they know who I am. Like, I don't know that Jesus is the Savior because Scripture tells me. I know that Jesus is the Savior because he is the only thing that has ever saved me. Now, I know Jesus is the Savior because I am saved through him. I have experienced being saved. 
I cannot sit up here and make a list of all the things that every single person turns to besides Jesus to be saved. That list would be forever long. I can tell you some of the things that I turn to. Right? I've, I've turned to money. I've turned to position. I've turned to authority. I've turned to having a good family. Hey, if I just have a good family, everything will be fine. And I'm sure each of you have your own list of things. Your own list of things that you say, man, if I just had that, everything would be good. If I just did that, nothing else would matter. But if you know Jesus, then you know that none of that stuff works. Right? If, if you've experienced being saved by Jesus, you know that is the only thing that will save you. And church, to say that there are multiple paths to God, right? to say that I am a, I'm a Christian, but there's multiple paths to God. You do what's good for you, and I do what's good for me, is to not believe Jesus. It's to not know Jesus. If you think you're a follower of Jesus and you believe that there are multiple paths to heaven, you might just be looking at photos of Jesus in your life. You might just be going off what other people are telling you. My guess is you have not experienced the saving power of Jesus in your own life. And then those that know Jesus, they don't doubt. There's not a question in their mind that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. Like those of us that have not just read about every tongue gathering to praise Jesus, but we have experienced the abundant family, right? Being in true fellowship and worship with our brothers and sisters who are different than us. Right? They, they have a different lifestyle in us. They look different than us. They hang out with different people. They like, they like sports. Maybe they don't even like sports. Maybe. Right? But when we have worship with them, we have had some experience, some part of the abundant life. It is truly an amazing thing to worship and do life with those that come from a different flock than you. Right? People that maybe they're not your close circle of friends. People, maybe they're not Americans, maybe they're not of your political persuasion, maybe they're people that are not in your social or economic demographic. Maybe they're people that you think are idiots. Maybe they're people that don't agree with you on one single thing except for they love Jesus. Right? They love Jesus and Jesus is their Lord and Savior and that's all it takes for them to be a part of your family. That's all it takes for them to be your brother or sister. Church, I swear, it's a, I get a little peek into heaven every time I'm with other believers that are not like me, that don't look like me, that don't act like me, and we worship God together. I can still remember times in my mind where God just impressed, like this was a time when I was near. This was a time when we were worshiping in Chiang Mai, Thailand, in Ye, South Sudan, in Amman, Jordan, at a funeral for a 98-year-old woman. I was by far younger than most of the grandkids there, but we had an awesome time of worship. I remember being at a, as a chaperone for college students in Atlanta at the Dome, and that place shook as an 18, 19, and 20-year-old sang hymns in worship to our God. Church, we have to look around, and we are truly a blessed church, and don't take this for granted. Sometimes in California we do, but you can look around the congregation, and you see all sorts of different people that don't look like you. This is a blessing to be in, in California. I can tell you, I have been at churches where everybody looked like me, 
this is beautiful. This is beautiful. It is amazing to be a part of this body of believers. See people that grew up in different countries. See people that grew up in different spots in the U.S. See people that grew up in the South, which is kind of like a different country. (laughs) It is just awesome that we could gather here together as brothers and sisters and worship. Scottish biblical scholar F.F. Bruce, as he was studying this passage, he gives us a great reminder. He writes this, The unity and safety of the people of Christ depend on their proximity to him. When they have forgotten things and tried to secure unity or safety by building walls around themselves, the results have not been encouraging. The walls have either been so comprehensive as to enclose a number of wolves among the sheep with disastrous consequences for the sheep, or they have been so restrictive as to exclude more sheep than they enclose. And church, we just need to stay close to Jesus. We need to know who the good shepherd is. We need to know Jesus. We need to know his voice. We need to know his love. We need to know his grace. We need to know his comfort. And when we know him and believe in him, we're part of his flock. We belong to him. We are his. And the truth is, church, ultimately there's only going to be two flocks. There's going to be the flocks that know and believe in Jesus, the flock, and there's going to be the flock that doesn't. That is ultimately where it's going to end up and just like many times before as jesus is teaching this caused the division amongst the people listening and today just like then jesus's words do not allow you to be neutral when jesus speaks these words he puts you into a position where you believe or you don't believe and we see that happening in these next verses if we go to verse 19 it says then there was again a division among the jews because of these words And many of them said, he has a demon and he is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? See, as these people got to know Jesus, his words and his deeds and his acts of mercy were not compatible with this demon possession accusations. Right? In many places in the Old Testament, right, the the work of the Lord the work of the promise of the coming Messiah was to open the eyes of the blind. The very thing that they are accusing him of doing because he's demon-possessed. And then as we continue, it says, At the time of the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple uh, in the colonnade of Solomon. And as we walk through John and we hear a festival... We should know that that's just more than mere time frame or mere color commentary. There's a significant reason why that feast is mentioned at that time. And at this time, this feast of dedication was actually when the temple had been taken over by the Syrian king. He put a a statue to Zeus in there. He desecrated the temple. There was a revolt. They took it over. 164 BC, they had an eight-day celebration saying the temple is clean, and they restored worship to its natural and perfect place that God had designed. And it's during this celebration, they have been celebrating this for about 167 years. And it's at this place where they're celebrating the temple being restored, the removal of the idols, and the return of the presence of the Lord, that Jesus declares to them that the presence of the Lord is among you now. That I and the Father are one. That I am with you. 
And so the Jews gather around him and they say to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered them, I told you. And you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe me because you are not among my sheep. You don't know me. Right? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And he looks at them and he says, you don't know the Lord is among you because you don't know the Lord. You don't believe the things that we have told you. Or again, Jesus tells them that my sheep know me. You don't. Right? My sheep know that I give life, that I sustain life, that no one can stop me. I and the Father are one. I have complete and total authority over all. Right? My word goes, and they did not believe Again, this is that decision. The choice is inescapable. Jesus is who he claims to be or he is not. Jesus is who he claims to be or he is not. We can't just take parts of what Jesus said and say, I like that and I don't like that or I like this and I don't like that. He is ultimate authority. Right? He is the one that we go to for truth. And so we must choose. Do we believe or do we not believe? Everything without exception hangs on our response to that question. Every single thing in your life. Do we know God and do we believe God or not? How you live your life will be the best way to answer this question. And I'm going to go over these two responses and we'll talk about your response. There's two responses. The first one is those that don't believe, right? They pick up stones. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself good. And Jesus answered him, Is it not written in your law? I said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say to him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming? Because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. And when we read through this passage, we have to see that these Jews are like many people today. They want Christ. They just want to create him. They just want him to do the things that they want. They just want him to approve the things that they are doing. They don't want a Christ who challenges their practices. They don't want a Christ to tell them that you're wrong. They don't want a Christ that says, I have authority over you. And it is this simple attitude that proves that they are not his sheep. For his sheep listen to his voice and are rescued and they are kept by the shepherd. And in the final verse, we see the response from those who do know him. And it says, And he, referring to Jesus, went again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. 
And if we go back to John 1, we see the purpose of John the Baptist. John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So John comes back and he's telling people about Jesus. He's pointing to people about Jesus. And as people are walking with Jesus and they're hearing his teaching and they're experiencing his miracles, they are saying everything that John said is true. This is the Savior. So with those two responses, what is your response? What is your response? And know that every response fueled by disbelief, no matter how little it is, is a stone that you're picking up to throw at Jesus. As you are sitting in church, as you're listening to this sermon online, a majority of you would call yourselves Christians. You say, I follow Jesus. And your automatic response is one of belief. You say, I believe in Jesus. There's no question. I know who he is. I believe in Jesus. And the question that Jesus puts before us, is that a complete belief in Jesus' teachings or is that a belief in manipulated teachings? Is that a belief in things that are comfortable to you? Does your life match up with Scripture? And there's an easy way to gauge that. Look at your life. How are you living your life? This is the question I love to ask people. How would your life be different if you were not a follower of Jesus? How would your life look if you did not believe in Jesus? Man, I, I pray you have answers to that question. I pray you can answer that question. This is how my life would be different. Right? If you believe that Jesus is the door, if you believe that Jesus is the rock, that he's our security, that he is the one that literally saves your life, if you believe that Jesus is the great provider, the one who gives you life, you don't wander far from Jesus. You like to stay close to Jesus because you've experienced the abundant life that comes with knowing Jesus. When we stay close to Jesus, we feel God's comfort in our pain. When we stay close to Jesus, we feel God's joy in our broken hearts. When we stay close to Jesus, we experience God's faithfulness in our doubt. And when we run to Jesus, we feel God's grace in all of our failures. We know Jesus. Those of us that have experienced Jesus, we know Jesus, and our lives are different than those who don't know Jesus. It's not, well, maybe they're different. They are 100% different if you've experienced the grace of God. One big reason is because we turn to Jesus for life while the rest of the world is turning to other things. So when you're faced with difficult situations, when your heart is broken, where do you run to? Where do you turn? Your actions will tell you what you believe. Churches, the flocks start to come together, right? And those two folds I mentioned earlier, those that believe and those don't believe, as those folds are being formed, and you start to look around, what fold do you find yourself in? Right? There's a natural drift for us to be with people that we can relate to, or maybe a natural drift towards people we want to relate to. Right? There's a, an appeasement, there's an attraction that draws us. Right? For some people, you know, they, I want to be in the American flock. That's my number one thing. I just want to be hanging out with Americans. Right? The Marines teach you in boot camp. You just want to be a Marine. Nothing else matters. Go to the Marine flock. Maybe you go to the good family flock. 
Maybe you think, hey, I want to be in the rich guy flock because they got it all together and that's where I want to be. Maybe some of you are hiding in the church flock. Sometimes if I'm not careful, I'll find myself in the pastor flock. And if, I, if I'm with those other pastors, I'm okay. But the truth is, I just want to be in the Jesus flock. Like, none of that other stuff matters at all. I want to be in the Jesus flock. I want to be with my brothers and my sisters and even my crazy uncles that are part of the family. Right? I just want to hang out with those people that love Jesus more than anything else. That's who I want to be related to. That's who I want my association to be. I want to be with people that hear his voice and follow him above all else. People that want nothing else but to be with the good shepherd. Because you know what? All the other stuff doesn't matter. All the other stuff will work itself out in the end. But I want to be with people that love Jesus. I want to be able to stand up and say, these are my people. And church, that is my prayer for this church. Is that we would be a church that seeks Jesus above everything else. That we would be a church that could put everything else aside and say we are a Jesus church pursuing Jesus at the fullest extent. I pray that when people in this community, when they walk by, they don't see this church and say, hey, that's the church with a broken sign or that's the church with a broken window or that's the church that has a bounce house or that's the church that has a... I, I just want people to walk by and say that church is a Jesus church. That church, those people that gather there during the week love Jesus. That's... My prayer for this church. And when we read scripture, Paul tells us in his letter to the Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And when he says testing, that's talking about doing. That you would do these things, that you would act in accordance with scripture, that you would act on your belief, that you would read the Bible and do what it says, and that you will see it is good. So this week, some of you haven't taken notes all day. I want you to take notes right now. Get out your pen and paper. You're going to take notes. So this week, I want you to experience God. I want you to experience time with Jesus. I want you to do one or all of these things this week. Right? If you believe that God brought you salvation... Right? If you believe that God saved your life, I want you to take 24 hours this week and worship him. I want you to take 24 hours this week and enjoy his creation. Man, enjoy his word. Enjoy your time with him in prayer. Enjoy your time with your family, the thing that he has given you. And praise him for all of the things that he has given you. Mainly, eternity. Right? That he has promised you that you will spend eternity with him. I think it's a good exchange. 24 hours for eternity. For those of you that maybe don't read scripture a lot, this is called the Sabbath. Right? God commands you to do it anyway. We're not really good at it. The Sabbath is like the only ten commandments that Christians brag about breaking. Take a Sabbath. Enjoy him. Enjoy time with him. If you believe that God unites brothers and sisters, I want you to be intentional this week about fellowshipping with somebody different than you. 
fellowshipping with somebody different than you, somebody who's in a different life stage, someone who's different from uh, their ethnicity is different, maybe they're from a different country, they have a different lifestyle, they like Marvel movies, they don't like Marvel movies, they like Legos, they don't like, I'm just looking at my son thinking of all the differences we have. Man, it is such a blessing though to be able to worship with him. But find somebody who's different than you. And you say, they'll never do that because we're in this society that we can only hang out with our own people. No, guess what? People don't turn down food, right? Let's go to lunch. Let's go to dinner. Man, let's worship together. Be intentional and find somebody different than you and experience the abundant life that God is talking about. And finally, if you believe that Jesus is Christ, right, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, everybody has to do this one. This week, you just cast your cares upon him. You just take a, take a minute, a day, and pray to God, and all your burdens, all the things that you're struggling with, all the conflicts in your heart, even the doubt that's in your heart, you just give it to him. He's already paid that price. He's already done it. Take those burdens and give it to him. And if you want to starve for this week, grab somebody who's different than you. Go before God in prayer. Man, pray for unity. Pray for fellowship. Pray for the sins in your life. Pray together. Pray for the burdens in your life. Pray for your cares and just give them to God. Go before God with your brothers and sisters this week and seek his grace and mercy. I remember the story of somebody, a single mom who was raising kids, was having a tough time, couldn't make the rent. She was struggling. Life was difficult. Nobody cared about her. There was a youth group that was doing door-to-door evangelism and the the youth leader knocks on the door and she answers and all the kids hid behind the youth leader. And the youth leader said, hey, I would like to tell you about Jesus, but I can see your hands are full. And she said, let's talk. And he goes into this house and he shares Jesus with her and he tells her about Jesus. And she says, yes, I, I want to know this guy. I want to know who he is. He said, well, that's easy. We can take care of this right now. And so they sit and she prays and she gives her heart to Jesus. And she looks up at him and she goes, it worked. It worked. And so they pray again and, and they leave out and the kids ask the youth leader, what worked? And they said, she experienced the peace of God. Right? She cast her cares, she cast her things, she experienced the peace of God. That lady will never go anywhere else. There's no question that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life once you know him through experience. Calvary Church, do not settle for secondhand knowledge of God, but know and understand and experience, right, the life of knowing Jesus. It's not a one and done thing. It is a lifestyle of experiencing Jesus for the rest of your life. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your son. We are so grateful that your son is alive and living and reigns supreme. Lord, we are so grateful that he went to the cross and was able to bear our sins and pay our debt and pay our penalties, that he has erased all guilt, that he has erased all shame, that he has 
erased all deficiencies, Lord, and he gave us your righteousness so we can sing and worship with you, with our brothers and sisters for all of eternity. Lord, we pray our hearts would be filled with joy here on earth as we think of that time that will come when every tongue will confess, every knee will bow, and we will be singing holy, holy, holy with all the tongues of all the nations, worshiping, worshiping and praising you. Lord, give us the strength, give us the courage, give us the commitment to believe and live like we believe in you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And it's in your son's name, Jesus, we ask these things. Amen.